Have you ever brought your magic to Walt Disney World like, hey, we came to play? Did you tip your tiara to a Creole princess or get goofy officially? Step up like a boss and save the day? Or see what life's like under the tree of life? Did you? If you could. Would you? When we come through, it's true magic. Because we came to play. Bring the magic at Walt Disney World Resort. All right, y'all, it's spring, and you know what that means. It's time to start planning our summer festival traveling. Yep, it's time to get into my Airbnb bag cross-country, a.k.a. uh, time to visit my homes all across the country. And you know what I never think about? Why not list my own spot on Airbnb and host some folks at my house? I mean, my house is cute. Yes, let's make money while we're spending money. Just trying to help you out, man, because your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Questlove Supreme is a production of iHeartRadio. Hi, this is Sugar Steve from Questlove Supreme. This March, we're celebrating women's history at QLS, something that we've done for years. Back in March of 2021, we spoke to Anika Noni Rose about her acting, singing, and voice work. She discussed growing up in Connecticut, working on Dreamgirls, and landing a life-changing audition for Disney's The Princess and the Frog. This is a powerful and sincere conversation that is worthy of hearing, and I hope you enjoy it. Oh, I didn't know you was here. What's up, Anika? What's going on? Baby? How you doing? <laughs> I, I ain't see you over there in the corner. What's happening? That's okay. Yeah, you know, it's funny. Time. I thought I was visible for about six minutes, and I was like, "Oh, I'm just a blank square." So I'm, <laughs> yeah, we were just talking about the uh, the salt and pepper uh, lifetime. Oh, <laughs> the I salt and pepper I... lifetime. Uh... <laughs> we went deep in salt and pepper. Deep in salt and pepper. Did you watch oh, it yet? Uh, I watched. Oh, come on, bro! I was on time for that thing. And. <laughs> Um, yeah, I, I wait, mean, hold on. You know, wait, it's 60 lifetime, seconds. So it's 30 you, seconds. Go. 30 seconds. Okay. Um, the salt and pepper story, it was, I mean, it was cool for lifetime. Um, I thought they cast salt real good. Pepper, I wasn't really too convinced on pepper. Um, I really was not convinced with Tretch. I really like the way they cast <laughs> Herbie Lovebug and the twin. Although it hasn't really been documented that Herbie Lovebug has a twin brother. He has a twin. He does have a he has a brother. I don't know if it's his twin brother, but Herbie Herbie does have a brother. His the lookalike brother was, was on point. The, the lookalike was in his um uh it was in the he was in the shoot video, I want to say. His brother is was in the shoot video. I can't remember which scene. But uh-huh. anyway, yeah. Um, I mean, it, it was a little too long. I felt like it probably could have been like two hours. I mean, I, you know, if it was the three Jacksons, hours, I didn't realize. Okay. It was three yeah, it was hours like, long. It was three hours. And mind you, let's contrast that with the Jacksons story being four hours. So <laughs> I thought that was multiple like, movie nights. Okay. Yeah, the like Jacksons Nick. was five. Yes, yes. Yeah. And so then, if they, then if then the Jacksons the is five. And Did you learn was- anything about salt and pepper at all? Not that you didn't I, know, but just anything. Um, I didn't know uh, that uh, Pepper, well, not Pepper, Salt uh, had the eating disorder. Uh, they kind of, they kind of hinted at that. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. That was new information. Um, but yeah, that was it. 
And you know, it was hey, man, I watched that shit on a Sunday afternoon on my couch high, nigga. Hey, man. <laughs> <laughs> Did what Hello, to be welcome to the show. <laughs> Thank anyway, you. Welcome to the show, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah, this is Quest Love Supreme, and uh, I'm your host, Questo. That was uh, we, we that was our cold open, Fontigolo's yeah. uh, hot take on the Salt and Pepper Lifetime movie. Um, Damn, as this episode airs in Women's History Month, shit. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Anyway, <laughs> so we have uh, Sugar Steve with us. Uh, we Hi, have, everybody. Uh, Hi, Nika. Hello. We have an uh, unpaid bill. Yep. And we have uh, Laia with us as well. Our esteemed guest today. Oh, yeah, is, we're doing uh, great. Thanks for asking. But Oh, okay. How are you doing, Steve? <laughs> great. Okay. <laughs> nice sweater. I like I like the sweater. It's it's a champion hoodie. It's not a sweater. Okay. They're not okay, well, it, they can't see you on the on on I mean anyway. it's a very expensive sweater. Steve, can I please introduce the guest? <laughs> anyway, our esteemed guest today <laughs> is an amazing, versatile, award-winning actress. Uh, whose stage credits uh, range from Carmen Jones to Raising the Sun uh, to Eli's Coming, uh, Carolina Change, which she won a Tony Award. And her TV credits, so many. Ladies, number one detective agency. Uh, she played Wendy Carr on one of my favorite TV shows. I miss The Good Wife so much. Like, that's one of my favorite shows ever. And I wish was still here, even though, you know, the, the reboot, well, not the reboot, but yeah, the, the good fight CBS, is sort of okay. Yeah. Yeah. You know, but anyway, uh, we also can't forget her role as a, a jukebox a character on everyone's yeah. favorite guilty pleasure, Power. <laughs> um, not to mention Little Fires Everywhere. Um, she also did the quad and had a cool bucket list check uh, as a voice on The Simpsons. Uh, not to mention her movie credits uh, are just as on point. Uh, this past Christmas, she starred in Netflix's uh, amazing Jingle Jangle, The Christmas Journey, which hopefully will last for years and decades and decades and decades new christmas story um, yes yeah definitely my my all my nieces and nephews enjoyed it not to mention there's dream girls for color girls only and also princess and the frog come on yes. man yes she starred as princess tiana as come the on. first black princess and the you. historical princess and the frog for disney come on, man. Uh, incidentally she is the youngest inductee to ever be honored as a Disney legend. I want to know what a Disney legend is. And do I qualify for my four seconds? No, I'm playing. No. Anyway, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen, please welcome to our show. Oh, my fellow Academy member. It's, it's like a secret society that only people know. Anyway, welcome to Quest Love Supreme, Anika Noni Rose. Thank you. Thank you for coming. Thank you. I wanted to ask, how, how have you made out in the past year? You know, this 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 year has been difficult on a lot of people and it's been an adjustment for artists in all mediums, like in for singers, for, you know, actors and for, for pretty much anyone in the arts. Is, it's been an adjustment. So how have you been adjusting to, to the past year or so? I the past year was rough. It was it was a rough year, um, you know, and then. You sort of feel funny even saying that because it's been rough for everybody, um, mm -hmm. like heavy for everybody. In in lieu of work, I've been really lucky because I'm a voiceover artist. So even when I can't do something where you see me on a set, I can still do voiceover work. So that's a blessing, you know, to be able to do that. And I've started doing some film work as well, which is 
which was weird um, and still feels weird to be on a set because I still sort of feel like, oh, don't be that close to me. So professionally, I would have to say that I've been, um, I've been pretty lucky in that respect. You know, personally, it's taken some adjusting to. It's been um, wild. It's been a frightening year. It's been a year full of really intense anger. Mm-hmm. Um, it, 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 if there is an emotion on the emotional scale, I don't think that that we've been saved from it this year. I think we've gone done that whole circle. So, you know, I'm grateful to be healthy, um, especially as an asthmatic. I'm very grateful to be healthy. I'm grateful that my family wasn't touched um, as often as some people have been um, by COVID and that type of loss, but I've lost friends and I've lost family and it's been a really shit year to be perfectly honest. Um, No, we we welcome that honesty, you know, you know, I'm grateful for the possibility of change and we'll see, you know, how, just how much people are able to do, but you know, January 20th, when everybody finally got inside and the doors were locked and the cameras were gone, I felt like I could breathe a little bit. I just wanted everybody to go inside. I was like, this is great. Can you now go inside, everyone? (laughs) (laughs) Everybody, I want your mama inside. I want your stepchildren inside. I want everybody inside. Um, So I was really, I felt like, it felt like at the end of of a movie, like a movie shoot, when I've been wearing a corset and I have to take that corset, get to take that mm-hmm. corset off for the last day, it felt like I have been wearing a corset for four years and I finally got to take that thing off and get a deep breath in. Um, I felt like I could just breathe a little bit. Uh, that is a very great metaphor. We've all been wearing Spanx for the last four years. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Spanx. We've been wearing waist you know, trainers. Waist trainers. Yeah, that's right. Waist trainers. trainers and drinking Much flat tummy tea. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wait, well, I love the look on, on Bill and Steve's face. Like I was like, do we have to translate this for you? Like, <laughs> no, no, no. I'm hip. I'm hip yeah. to tight clothing. You know. <laughs> No, I, I I I admire you for you know the transparency and the and the and the honest honesty about it because you know this has been a hard adjustment this past year and for a lot of us this forced us to deal with ourselves and to deal with the people in our lives like to really get to know them. I mean, if you're quarantining alone or with a partner, or your children or your family members and that sort of thing. So this was an a, adjustment for you know, a lot of us and, you know, a lot of us didn't, didn't make it, you know, through the past year wiser or, you know, I know a lot of people that are in this field that have given in to, to panic and fear and that sort of thing and sort of lost their way. three divorces going on right now. Like three, three, yep, four of them going through divorces. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. You know, I, I hope for you that, you know, it was at least a lesson. But for the voiceover work, was it more of a pivot for you or was it what you were always doing or was it something new that you weren't exactly prepared to make, you know, something as as serious as far as your career is concerned? It's something that I've always been doing and that I really enjoy doing. And then it became something that I was also really, really grateful to be able to do. Mm -hmm. Um, 
you know, outside of just saying, oh, yeah, I'm, I, I get to do voiceover. I'm, I'm a voiceover artist. That's fun. And I'm glad to do that. It became something to be really grateful for during this past year. Can I ask, what experience does that entail? I I took one hand. I, I did one time of trying to do voiceover work and, you know, kind of. I'll say I was unprepared. It was like an American Express card, and I didn't realize that, like, the inflections that you have to have and, you know, <laughs> read things distinctly. So, and, and, and I know Fonte does it as well. Pictures. Like, what? Yeah. I do a little bit too. I would just, it's, yeah. Oh, and Laya. Yeah, well, actually, you all do voiceover. Even I mean, Sugar I Steve. <laughs> Not like teach, a Lincoln only teach me, bros. Teach me the, the wise ways. Dream. Like, what, what does good voiceover work entail as far as having to? I assume that if you get called back, that means you're good enough to to work again. So, you know, it's different. It's different for depending on what type of voiceover you're doing. Like if you're doing a commercial and they call you to be your voice because your voice is because, you know, you are Questlove. They just want to hear your voice. So there's some things that you don't have to worry about. You don't have to create a character, mm-hmm. but you still you have to have be yourself. To, yeah read whatever it is that they've given you in a way that gets the whatever emotional tone that they want. Um, how does it push their product the best way? So in that respect, you, you know, you have to be ready for that. If you're doing a character, they're looking for actors uh, most of the time, unless of course you're being called in to be yourself. They're still looking for you to be an actor, but you mm-hmm. still get to be yourself, which is which takes a little bit of that onus off of you. But I would say if they are looking for a character, if you're talking about a cartoon or an animated feature, or even a voiceover for a feature film, there's acting involved because you need to know how to put forth the emotion, the information that they need to have. And I think that what trips people up is that they think, oh, oh, well, it's just I'm just going there and talk. It's, it's going to be fine. It's, it's so not and it's, that. Yeah. <laughs> and it's a, lot, a- <laughs> it's a lot more than that. And it's also tiresome because if you are doing a whole feature or, or something like that, they may want you to lay that whole thing down in one day. And by the time you're done, you're like, thanks. That was, um, that was really nice. Thanks for having me. <laughs> And it's it's also very competitive too because it's like very unlike unlike uh, in some ways even more so than acting because with acting you can kind of age out of a role so to speak but in voice acting I mean hell Nancy Cartwright been playing Bart Simpson for <laughs> thirty years you know what I'm saying like mm-hmm. so once you get in those roles you kind of stay there and if you're there you can stay there but it it is extraordinarily competitive it is becoming more different by the day and more competitive by the day because it's becoming more compartmentalized by the day um, as well. So it's very interesting watching the shift. Um, But to be able to be on The Simpsons was so much fun and I got to be so silly. And anytime I get to be silly, I am very happy. And, you know, Princess Tiana was a huge, huge honor, but I love doing voiceover. For me, I love being able to create a character. I I love when somebody listens to something and they don't realize it's me mm-hmm. or they figure it out real late. That that gives me a kick. Like I, I feel real honored when that happens. And that's exciting to me. me. 
And that's the difference. That's what Cree Summer taught us, y'all. Remember? Like, that mm-hmm. is why Anika is in the Cree tribe of things where you can't tell and where you can do all <laughs> kinds of different characters and whatnot. But then there's just the voice over a voice over artist, which is sometimes, like you said, just the regular. Which like, you're talking about like commercial, where they're like, hey, we want to know who that's this me. person is I'm regular, because regular. they want to sell their project product on that person's voice. And yeah. look, trust if uh Nike or Apple or any of those people want to be like, Anika, it will be great to be, I'll be there before they finish the sentence. I'll be right there. See, <laughs> I'll I, be right I, there, direct deposit I, form in hand. Yes. I wish <laughs> I wish I knew that um, ahead of time because I, I think I came there prepared to do like my Don Pardo uh, <laughs> impression. <laughs> <laughs> and then when I when I asked my manager, like, so what they think? They're like, uh, they're going to roll with da da da. I was like, oh, where did I mess up? And they were like, they just wanted you to sound like you, Amir. And I was like, oh, you know, I was talking like this the whole time. And da da da. So now, now, now I know that. Okay. Yeah, but I there'll be it. another chance for you because you're Quest Love, and they see you on TV all the time, and yeah. <laughs> and you are distinctive, and now you know. Well, yeah, okay. Common can sell AI. I think you can oh, sell God. anything. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. All right. Because because you have uh kind of both feet in in all of these uh areas of acting, is it one, is it is it highly unusual to not just concentrate on one particular medium like strictly television or the Broadway stage or movies? Like, are you just one of those supernatural people that will just take whatever comes your way or, you know, is it, is it, or is it highly unusual for a person in the acting field to sort of stretch out to all three different arenas? I'm sure there's more than three, but I know TV, film. I I think that when you can do that, you're lucky to be able to do that. So I think that, you know, and it, let me not say that it's just luck because somebody's going to be like, oh, excuse me, ma'am. It, you know, there's a lot of training involved. There's a lot of work involved to be the actor or performer that I am. And I've been lucky uh, for the time that I've been here, that I was here at the perfect time to be able to be in the running to be Princess Tiana because five years beforehand or Two years beforehand, two years afterwards, it could have, it wouldn't have been me, you know. Mm-hmm. But also, there is an adjustment of your craft depending on what you're doing. You're you're not doing the same thing on stage necessarily that you're going to be doing on film, that you're going to be doing on television, and it's not something that I can be clear about. But there are tiny adjustments, and there are some people for whom. They're amazing on film. And they get on stage and you're like, what? And there are some people who are on stage and you're like, I've never seen anything like it. And they get on film, you're like, oh. And you know, so there are, there's a translation that happens. Mm -hmm. And if you are somebody who is able to translate to different mediums well, it is again a blessing. It's the work that you've done, but it's also, you know, you're lucky to be able to do that because there are people for whom they're magnificent actors in either realm, but they get on on screen and your face looks funny 
And you don't know why your face looks funny because your face looks great in person. But the screen will change your face. <laughs> like you get up there and you're like, wait a minute, why does my eye look so high on that side? Those things happen on screen. So the reasons that people don't make it on screen aren't always about their talent per se. There's always something that can make it not work for you. So I'm glad to be able to do all three things. And it was a plan for me to be able to do all three things because I like to do all three things. And I'm somebody who I get tired of doing the same thing over and over. Like it's important to me to be able to stretch out and try something different and be in a different space because I get antsy um, and I want to be able to challenge myself. And basically, anytime you see me doing something different, it's because I was like, yeah, I want to try that. I, 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 let me see if I can do that well. Uh, and I jump in. Which one edges out more? Like, what do you prefer? Do you prefer the stage, <laughs> TV, uh -oh. or movies? <laughs> I, what was the last or? Or movies. <laughs> movies. Or movies. Oh, okay. But then again, there's also voiceover. So, I mean, it's like four. I areas. love stage. And you know why. You know that feeling being on stage live in front of people um, and the challenge that it is to yourself every time you're on a stage, how much better it makes you having to do that, wanting to do it. Um, I love stage and I love film and it, that's a different type of challenge. And it's also finite, which is sort of lovely. But on stage, you have more control over what you're doing, over the performance that you're giving and, and you... Um, I really feel like stage is the place where I sharpen my pencil, where I hone my skill so that when I step out to do something else, I know that I have grown a new limb from the time that I spent live on stage. Yeah. Oh, I was going to ask, um, have you ever given any consideration or thought about like singing, like making the Nico Noni Rose album? Like, is that a, <laughs> is that a, a dream or passion of yours? I love to sing. I have an album that I've been wanting to do for several years and I just have, don't quite know how to do it. And then I have a different um, musical project that I'm actually in the works of planning now. So yes, I love singing and um, I, I don't know. And I think probably, even when I started, when I started as a performer, I wanted to be, I wanted to be, uh, like a Grammy winner. I said, by the time I'm <laughs> 21, I want a Grammy. <laughs> like, that's what I right. wanted to do. That's what I didn't know that I wanted to be an actor. And that feeling came later. And then I've just been really, really focused on this part of my career. And I think that it is, um, it, it is a loss to me and inside of me to not sing um, as much as I used to even. And definitely that is in my plans. I, I just have to, some things I need to figure out. <laughs> and some help I need. I need some help. What's your um, genre of passion? I, that's probably part of the problem. I, I, I just love to sing. Because you're a jack I of all trade. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I, I need to focus, you know, and I have a focus on something. I did a, um, I did a concert series a few, oh God, several years ago now. I'm very bad at time. And it was a tribute to my uh, grandmother, and I would like to turn that into an album. And I always wanted to do some sort of like poppy thing. Um, 
some sort of pop, R&B. I love rock. I would love to put out a rock song. Um, so like, I'm not, I don't feel like, oh, well, I would only do, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? I, um, cause you have a song uh, out now, right? That's really popular from the, from Jingle Jangle that year. Yes. And, um, John Legend wrote this song. It's called Make It Work. And it is such a brilliant piece of writing. And he is so interesting because his soul, I think, is 102 years old. <laughs> and so... That's, that's about right. Yeah. Yeah, right? Yeah, for real, so he for real. puts all of that into his music. So what Make It Work gave me was R&B and gospel and a hint of pop and, and a tap of rock all up in one thing. And, uh, and it gave me intense musical joy to be able to sing it. Like I love it so deeply. And it was so smart with regard to the movie because it was talking about many different things. It was talking about making the relationship work between me and my dad, but it was also talking about him making his creation work and making his life work again. And what John managed to do in the music is, um, he has a work song in there, like an actual work song from, mm-hmm. from time in the fields. You can feel it in the bass and the movement of that song. And it talks to you in a way that I don't know if people realize they're being spoken to. It comes from the inside. And, you know, music moves you in wavelengths because your body moves on on wavelengths so when people are like oh i hate a musical but then they go to a musical and they're like oh my god it was amazing <laughs> they've got caught because of what the music has done to your body and the wavelengths that your body moves on and when music is really good it seeps into your body that way and i think that that's part of what he created with that song having written it and it was my great joy to be able to come in and partner with him and take it to the next place of that vocally. It was uh, an amazing experience for me, and I loved it. I wanted to know what before you you said that um, you know the stage is what calls you more of all the um, avenues that that you can uh, do your craft. I wanted to know that even it's it's weird that that's your choice, even though like I think a lot of times um, stage actors get not dismissed but i mean there's really no glamour or glory in it so much uh you know like the the accolades that a, a movie actor or a television uh actor would get is hardly you know extended to uh the broadway world and at that there's so much pressure because you kind of have to deliver out the park every night like there's no such thing as a bad night or Right. <laughs> One false note, you know, especially with musicals, like how hard is it to preserve your like and and basically to hit it out the park every night when you're on stage? Like how much pressure is that? Um, mm. Musicals are particularly exhausting, um, but it's also life giving. Like you leave the stage, you finish your show. For me, it takes hours for me to become tired. I am so high when I leave the stage, you know, like my energy is moving and I get home and I make something to eat and I talk on the phone or um, 
I read something, or I'm up for hours. It takes me hours to fall asleep because of the energy coursing through my body. But it's exhausting and it takes an extraordinary amount of discipline, which I don't, I don't know that people who haven't done it realize that, um, which is why it sometimes conquers people who haven't done it and are like, yeah, let's do that. And then they're like, oh my God, it's show number four, I'm about to die. <laughs> because it's, it's a murderer like that if you don't know how to pace yourself for it. So depending on what you're doing, like for me, if I'm doing a musical, I want nine hours of sleep, period. I don't want to oh, talk wow. to people about it. I don't, oh. don't call me in no single digit AM. No, I'm not <laughs> trying to get up to do nothing with you. No, we're not going out at night because I have to make sure that somebody's $150 or however much they spent is worthwhile when they that come money, to yeah. that stage. And it's that's my job. And I take too much pride in what I do to ruin it by being out at a bar or out doing whatever. And look, some people can do that. I can't. I'm, I'm speaking about oh, me. So you I'm don't go to Broadway Row when the show's done? and at, No. I may go out to get something to eat, but what you will not see me do is talk. <laughs> so, no. Or like yeah. stay up late. None of that. I'll be at a restaurant eating, but if I'm talking to somebody, I'm talking in their ear. Like I'm in their ear right here, real quiet wow. because okay. – you're going to, I'm going to lose my voice. Trying to speak over the din of a restaurant, you stress mm. your voice so badly that the next day your voice is tired, not from the show you did, from the talking you did afterwards. Yeah. So I am really, I go home most of Didn't the time. I, wow. And okay. um, I drink an extraordinary amount of water. I probably drink about uh, two, two liters of water a day, no less, mm. to make sure everything is moving um that i eat too. super properly and well um because i can't afford to be sick at all are you um, a vegan no dairy i am not vegan i i would like to be that person but that's where my discipline no. doesn't quite yeah, get nah, that far nah. <laughs> i need a piece of meat um you know and not every day but i need some meat or i'm cranky and tired um but i do you know, I cut back on, I don't eat a whole lot of fried stuff. I don't eat a whole lot of spicy stuff. I don't eat a whole lot of heavy, heavy stuff. Why? Because those are the things that get on your body and say, ooh, you've had fun. You ate really well. How about some reflux for tomorrow? So <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> those are all things that I'm thinking about um, when I'm performing. And somebody is going to be like, oh, you don't have to do all that. I never had to do all that. I do this, I do that. That's great for them. And I wish I was that person. But for me, it involves a whole lot of discipline. And I'm not bitter about it because it's the thing that I love to do. So it always feels worth it. That's weird to hear because um, the, the time that I was involved with the, the, the cast of Fela, they would go super hard. Like, <laughs> Every night, like that's like an age and a star thing. I think like you get to a certain age, you can't party that hard. When you're like, you know, a lot of the ensemble kids don't feel like they need to save the voice as much as it were. Anika, I'm, sure I'm gonna stop you that. right there, Bill. But you know what I'm saying? <laughs> like, no, 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 Anika, we have the you same friends. You just said something that I go ahead. You just said, no, no, tell well, me. Anika, now I can understand why you wouldn't have to. <laughs> 
no, no, so, no, 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 no. You about to be muted? Oh, I, no. oh man, I just got canceled. Damn, Damn, shit. I got Broadway canceled. <laughs> I have never. This has always been the way that I approach my job. It's my job, and I and you know, Fela was an amazing show with amazing artists in it. Mm-hmm. Um, also, a dance-heavy show. I don't right. think it was as vocally heavy as it was dance-heavy. And okay. it's a different type of singing because it's also choral singing. So everybody's singing except for, uh, what was his name? Sar? Sar. Sar, who was, woo, chef's kiss, magnificent. Right. So it's choral singing. So you have a whole lot of voices that can fill that thing out. And if, and again, let me make this clear, no shade whatsoever. But if one choral person is singing at level six or seven on a Tuesday night, the audience isn't going to know that one choral person is singing at six or seven unless that person has a solo. So when you're in a show that you can do choral work, you ha- I think you have a little more space. Yeah, you got something um, to lean on. You got people. That's you what I was trying fight. to say. You can lean on that. Damn, what you said. <laughs> you can lean on the person <laughs> that is next to you in a different way. But um, if Sar were to go out drinking every single night, right. Sar gonna have a different show yeah. the next day. I you see. know what I mean? Um, and he was, oh, God, they were magnificent in that show. Yo, what's up? This is Fonte, Fontigolo from Team Supreme. Black representation in media is very important to me. I think it's important to have our stories told by people who look like us and who have shared in our common experiences. Some of my earliest influences were Donnie Simpson. Uh, I would also say Tom Joyner, Angela Stribling, uh, Sherry Carter. They were just people who told our stories with a lot of class and dignity and were big inspirations to me. The next generation of influential black voices can be found on NPR's new collection, Black Stories, Black Truths. Black Stories, Black Truths is a celebration of blackness from NPR. Each of NPR's black voices are as distinct, varied, and nuanced as the black experience itself. In the Black Stories, Black Truths collection, you'll hear stories of joy, resilience, empowerment, and creating world-shifting things out of struggle. Every episode is a living account about what it means to be black today, told from a unique black perspective. From Bobby Schmurder to The Wire, Michelle Obama to Reparations, there's no limit to the range of black stories, black truths. Black perspectives haven't always been centered in the telling of America's story. Now, they are the story. In NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, you'll find a collection of some of NPR's best podcast episodes celebrating the black experience. Hear a feed of episodes from across NPR's podcast, The Center Black Voices. It's NPR Noir. Listen now to Black Stories, Black Truths from NPR, wherever you get podcasts. All right, y'all. You know what season it is. Tis the season for spring breaking and planning our summer travel. And if you're like me, you're already in your Airbnb app trying to find which spot is right for you. Now, listen, while I'm looking to spend all this money, what I'm not doing is thinking about making money with Airbnb. See, you got to change your mind state. Make the money while you're spending the money. How, you say, Laia, do I make the money? Well, you host at your house. And I know what you're thinking. I mean, my whole house? Uh, Well, no, you don't have to do your whole house. I mean, you could do a room or, you know, do the whole house. So make some money while you're spending some money this summer. 
I'm trying to tell you, your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. In the 1980s, Frank Farian was riding high as a successful German music producer, but he was bored. German pop was formulaic, dull, and oh so white. Frank had bigger dreams, American dreams. He wanted to create the kind of music that would rival larger-than-life artists like Michael Jackson or Run DMC. So he assembled a hip-hop duo, two once-in-a-lifetime talents who were charismatic, full of sex appeal, and phenomenal dancers. The only problem? One very important element was missing, but Frank knew just how to fix that. Wondery's new podcast, Blame It on the Fame, dives into one of pop music's biggest controversies. Millie Vanilli set the world on fire, but when their adoring fans learned about the infamous lip syncing, their downfall was swift and brutal. With exclusive interviews from frontman Fab Morvan and his producers Frank Farian and Ingrid Segui, this podcast takes a fresh look at the exploitation of two young Black artists. Follow Blame It on the Fame wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen to Blame It on the Fame early and ad-free by joining Wondery+. Plus. Wait, speaking of Bill, um, I said make him look good. Make him yeah, someone said something nice about him. Well, now he's canceled, Bill, instead of uh, unpaid Bill. Um, I'm out. Bill, yeah. Wait a minute, because um, I think I was looking on your your credits and I saw Hamilton there. Explain this to me. When when was your run with this? Because I didn't do a run. I helped workshop Hamilton. Ah. Uh, so wow. I did. The original table, like the... The last, uh, not the last workshop, but the second to last workshop to Hamilton, we did a workshop up at Vassar at New York Stage and Film, which was amazing. Um, And then I did um, A Raisin in the Sun, and I couldn't really do anything while I was doing A Raisin in the Sun because it was a three hour tour <laughs> right? and, um, and I was, it was just a really busy and heavy show and dramatic. And I didn't have a lot of space to do other things while that was happening. They were still doing work, uh, another workshop for it after that. And um, they got the lovely Renee Goldsberry and she yeah. ended up being blessed with the role, but that's how those things happen. You know what I mean? Okay. Like sometimes Sometimes. Do you remember this, Bill? I was I was not at that. I thought you were going to bring up being on the Sesame Street float, which is what you and Aniga have in common, other than many other things. Well, no, but I mean, she when I read that she was in the initial Hamilton thing, I was like, wait a minute, Bill, that's that's your whole world. I did I did know that I wasn't I wasn't there during that, but I know that Anika was uh, the first Angelica many many moons ago. Wow. Oh, okay, yeah, okay. I was just confused because when I read that, I was like, wait a minute, I could have sworn. It was we always did make a name. record, Amir, and she was not there when we made that record. Right, and that's the there. thing. I was like, wait, was I in room with Anika? <laughs> no, and what's so crazy is that Renee and I actually did um, The Good, Good Life, Life together. Mm-hmm. Um, exactly. And she is so amazing and beautiful and fantastic. And uh, to watch her, you know, step up there and get that Tony and give that beautiful speech afterwards, I was so happy for her because she is such a good person mm-hmm. as well as being you know stupendously talented and not too painful on the eye mm-hmm. um she's she's a lovely human being so you know sometimes you lose out on a role to somebody and with no rationality at all you sitting at home mad at the person 
<laughs> it has nothing to do with that person and you. But you have a little bad. You home sitting to no mad, cussing under your breath. But she is somebody for whom you, you really can't begrudge anything. She's so good at what she does. She's such a lovely person. She is um she's really a blessing. Um so I was really, really happy for her. Does that mean I was not sad that I didn't get to do it? No. But it does mean I had a great time when I did do it. And I was happy that the person who ended up getting to do it was somebody really beautifully fitted to what it was. Oh, nice. I mean, you won a Tony previously for uh, Carolina Change. What was that like to, I believe that that world is very, not unpenetrable, but just very hard to get a seat at the table just mm. based on my limited experience of, of being in that world. So I mean, what, what did it feel like to get the acknowledgement at least? It was one of the most amazing moments of my career because it was the last thing that I expected. I just had no idea that that was what was going to come from that role. And um, right. even at the time people were like, Oh, we're coming to see your show. I was like, well, it's not really my show. I come in at this point in time, but come to see the show because the show is amazing and everybody was phenomenal in it. Mm -hmm. I was stunned when I got nominated. And then when I won, I, I, if, if you ever get to see that video, like my head dropped, like <laughs> they said mm -hmm. my name, they said my first name. I didn't even hear my middle name. My head went down and then I was just focused on not tripping as I got mm -hmm. to the stage. And, <laughs> yeah. Everyone's and like, it, don't fall, don't fall, don't, don't fall. Don't trip, please. There's a lot of wires. There's a lot it, of wires. They don't tell on, you that. There's a lot going on. you're in a heel. And I you tripped. haven't eaten for six hours. <laughs> and <laughs> you are freezing. Because it's Radio City Music Hall. Yeah. Yep. And you're not trying to drink nothing because your dress is fitted. And you're not trying to have, a, you know, come up there with a, with a pooch. So all of those things happened. <laughs> but I did have a Luna bar in my purse. Oh, and, smart. Uh, oh, I always have a snack. I'm the one with a snack because otherwise I'm cranky. So <laughs> you I, established that you're hangry like I'm twice not good already. I'm with the hunger. I'm not good at it. <laughs> and I tried. I know meat and chocolate. Okay. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Uh, my friend was like, Anika, we're just going to carry some snacks for you because you don't really know how to act after a certain point in time. And I was like, no, but nice. mm -hmm. I can't even deny that. So I had snacks. But, you know, what was amazing to me was that it was a collection of my peers who said, you, you did something that stands out, that is worthy of recognition. And I looked out into Radio City Music Hall and the people in the balcony, I could see them, barely, but I could see mm -hmm. them, like they stood and I could hear, at some point my hearing came back. Like I got to the stage and then I could hear this wave of applause and I could see the, um, oh, the woman who wrote the music, uh, Janine Chisori was climbing over somebody else to grab them while it was happening, my brother was in the audience. My grandmother was there and both of my parents. And I think I was so very moved and full. And I think that, you know, those times when you just have no idea 
Like I didn't even know when nominations came out. And I try not to know because I feel like it's stressful. I don't need that stress. You know, right. it's so rare that we're in a position where we're nominated for something and then and then go ahead and get it. That's something else. So I don't need to be thinking about, oh, April 2nd is blah, blah. That's just stress you don't need. So I just go right. on about my life. But I had zero idea um, that that was going to happen. And it was phenomenal. Um, it was phenomenal, that feeling. And it led to me being in Dreamgirls because Bill Condon saw Carolina right. Change. And then he came back and saw me in Pearly. And that's how I got to audition for Dreamgirls. What was that experience like? <laughs> it was a... The audition? The audition, it was it was interesting because I was such a knucklehead and I was so new. They had asked me to audition and I said, well, you know, I'm actually supposed to perform at the Library of Congress. And I told them that I would and I can't pull out of that because, you know, it's a performance that I said I would do. Right. And um, so let me know when you have a second round of auditions. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> and that could have gone so wrong. Um, <laughs> so they did, they did let me know. And they were like, but now we're in Los Angeles. And I, and I said, well, I guess I'm gonna fly myself to Los Angeles. And that's not something that I do regularly. I really generally feel like if somebody really, really wants you in something, a company, they'll yeah. send for you. Yeah. Um, but if you really, really, really fly want something, and you have to decide what that thing is, then then bring yourself um, and go get it. And my point of view was, I'm coming to get this. Um, so I flew myself out. I did an audition. It was a great audition. It was months before I heard from them. Mm -hmm. Like it must have been three months. I think it was. And then mm -hmm. they wanted me to come do a callback. And they flew me out for the callback. And there was a limo that met me at the airport. And I was like, what? I didn't know this really happened. Upgrade. By this time, where were they in the casting process? Like, had some people been casting and some hadn't? Or, like, where were they by the time you got I the limo? I wish Kalimo? that I could tell you, but you know what? I was concerned about myself. Okay. No, I was just curious um, about, like, Eddie Murphy, you know. Oh, yeah. Oh, I I'm, oh, I'm pretty sure Eddie, Eddie Murphy was already in, too. in there. I think they were already there from the okay. beginning. But we weren't auditioning with them. Okay. And... They were still trying to figure out who the girls were going to be together, mm. you know. Um, and there are so many reasons why I may not have gotten that job. I'm short. I'm five two and a half. Beyonce, I think, is five six. Jennifer is five nine. Mm -hmm. You what? might not have seen me on screen. <laughs> so it was, you know, it was me and five and literally five and a half inch heels through that entire movie so that we could all be on screen together. And those wow. are some of the things that people don't know happen Oof. when you're casting wow. something. Um, you got the lollipop guild, me, <laughs> and then you got Jennifer and <laughs> Beyonce. So anyway, so I went, they flew me out and I auditioned again and I sang Ain't No Party live and with no music. And, and then it was like another three months. Man. And wow. and I was like, well, you know, you start during to wilt this time after during a that while. three months waiting. Like, how are you supporting yourself? Are you still working as an actress, like, you know, making money and stuff? I've, you know what? I've been very lucky that I've never done anything else but this. I've never waited a table. I've only done this. Whoa. Um, wow. Amen. Straight from school. Okay. And yeah, I'm talk really, really shit. Yes. grateful yeah. for that because I've seen people at restaurants. 
You know, people come in getting real entitled about their medium well hamburgers. So yes, they do. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm grateful for that. And I have a lot of respect for the people who can deal with the public feeling special about their hamburger. Um, right. So I've never had to do anything else, but I have been broke. And at that time, I really wasn't having much money flow coming in because I didn't have a stage job in that moment. And uh, and I remember, but I still had to get my hair done because your hair is your face. Priority. So if you have an audition, yeah. your hair need to be right. Yeah. So I was getting my hair done. I was under a hairdryer and my phone rang and my agent was trying to talk to me. And I was like, what? I can't hear. <laughs> I can't hear you. Let me call you. So I got out from under the dryer and called this person back. And they told me that I had gotten the the, the role. And I was sitting in the hairdresser, tears running down my face. Because I wanted it so badly. And I felt like it was for me. Like I felt it in that moment. Sometimes you're wrong, though. Um, And I was so thrilled that this was the next thing that I was going to do because I knew that music and I knew that show really well. Um, And then Anthony Minghella, uh, who did the number one ladies detective agency, saw me Mm -hmm. in Dreamgirls, called Bill Condon to ask what kind of person I was. And that's how I got the audition for number one ladies. So everything is sort of connected. I see. Um, I want to know, I know that you worked uh, with the great Debbie Allen, yeah. she's 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 one of our our bucket list uh, hopefuls for for this show. Yes, um, what was it like working under uh, her direction for Cat on a um, Hot Tin Roof? First, it was, it was an all black version of it, which is unusual. Like, what was it like? And also with uh, James Earl Jones was in that yes. as well, correct? Yeah, yes, he was. That was my big daddy. Um, and Felicia was big. Yeah, big Felicia mama. Rashad. Yeah, it was um, it was great working with her because you're working with somebody who knows the stage like the back of her hand. Um, you're working with someone who has no pretense. Um, you're working with someone who will occasionally pull your hair to make a point. Um, <laughs> wow! <laughs> and I love her. I love her deeply. Um, and the fact that she came to me with that role was, I mean, it's something I never thought I would do. Not because I didn't think I was able to do it. I just never thought that I would be considered for that role. I mean, you're talking about a sacred cow, Tennessee Williams, mm-hmm. who would have ever thought a black Maggie would grace a stage. And that's the um, role uh, Elizabeth Taylor played, correct? Yes. In the, yeah. Yes. Okay. And I loved that play and I loved those words. Um, and I loved that woman, Maggie. She's an amazing and tortured soul. Um, and Debbie said, you know, would you like to do this? And I said, absolutely. And I will really be grateful to her forever for giving me that opportunity to stretch myself like that and to be an adult, like a full blown woman on stage, which until that point, I had not really done. I was playing kids most of the time and really young people. And this was somebody who 
all the youth had been sort of sucked out of her. <laughs> mm-hmm. She was, and she was a woman and she traveled the world in womanhood before she was even a woman. So this was something that it was perfect in my life space because I had known disappointment at that point in time and I had known pain and hurt. And Debbie knew, she knew that piece and, and she knew that stage and she just, she just set me free in that space. And, I was, and I'm really, really to this day, very grateful for her. And she's somebody you can laugh with, but also who has done her homework. And, and you know that you can have an in-depth um, and fruitful conversation about the art of it with her. Mm-hmm. So, okay. Uh, one question I had for you, uh, Anika, was specifically concerning your time at FAM. You, um, it's not too many. We don't get too many HBCU grads, <laughs> you know, they grace the show. I'm a, I'm HBCU grad. I graduated uh, North Carolina Central. And oh, uh, actually, yeah, fam, you was actually one of my schools. I was, th- you know, I got like accepted to, but I, I wasn't going all the way to damn Florida. That but um, <laughs> I wasn't doing that. But, uh, yeah. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, it's uh, like you too. So, uh, yeah, just um, tell us about that time, you know, Correct going out. to fam and just what that experience was like for you and how you think that, um, influenced your your artistry well i wanted to go to an hbcu i didn't know which one i was going to but i knew i wanted to go (laughs) and i had already been accepted at a couple of other schools that were um you know traditional schools but i had family who went to howard i had family who went to hampton i had family who went to fam and so i was familiar with these schools and um I don't know. I wanted to go someplace that was small enough to build a program and have individualized attention if you needed it. That was important to me. Um, Because, say, Howard, great school, fantastic school, huge. So, uh, and I didn't know Bam was that much smaller. It's the department is much smaller. Okay. Oh, the department. Okay. The department is much smaller. And I was coming from Connecticut. And that's another reason why I wanted to have a, um, an HBCU experience because that wasn't my growing up experience. Like in my particular neighborhood, I was one of two black folks. Yeah. And I don't know if the, the other person knew that they were one of two. <laughs> um, what city in Connecticut? Bloomfield. Oh, um, yeah. beautiful town, gorgeous town yeah. and a great growing up. And I'm happy to have had it, but it was important to me to have that experience. And I, you know, and I grew up in a family who made it, you know, I was very clear about who I was and where I came from and what my history was. Um, I didn't know if I would ever, I don't think I would ever have the opportunity again after this time to be surrounded by my own culture. Um, so that was important to me to have that experience. And it was a, I think it was a good experience. It was a good place to be on stage. I studied theater, so I didn't study acting necessarily, specifically, I studied theater. So that meant I was acting. If I wasn't acting, I was doing costuming or directing or lighting. Yeah, Yeah, I was doing everything. And I think that that was a gift to me as an actor because it made it very clear that there are a lot of other things happening around you that make the thing work. It's not just doing. about you. It ain't you. You know, you you are the reason the one thing that you're doing is is happening, but you <laughs> can't just 
do that. <laughs> you know yeah. what I mean? Um, and so I think it made me very appreciative of everything that happened all, all around me. And, and the band was exquisite. Uh, yes. <laughs> and I knew the band before I had gotten to the school and I had seen them live before I had gotten to the school and they were, uh, you know, it was just such an amazing uh, culture to be a part of and to be proud to be a part of. And there are a lot of HBCUs with some good bands, mm-hmm. but then there's FAMU. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> did this, did you, did this prepare you for, um, your time on on the quad on BET? <laughs> yes. Because you know what was amazing about my time on the quad is that I was playing a woman who was from Connecticut who was oh, wow. thrown into the HBCU experience. That's right, that's right, that's right. And did they know your did they know your history when writing this character or it was just coincidence? Rob Hardy did. Rob Hardy did. Um, but a little bit of coincidence. Um and it was really interesting and great for me to be able to bring that aspect of myself to what I was doing. And I had spent a lot of time in academia because, um, because of family and my grandmother was a teacher. And so all of those things sort of came to a head, but the HBCU thing, most assuredly, I think you have to live it to know it. And, um, you can read about it and you can watch some video, but you sort of have to live it to know it. And I was grateful to be able to bring that part of myself to that space. And we had a couple of writers on staff who were HBCU people and Rob Hardy, who also went to FAMU, um, was one of the creators. So it was um, luck <laughs> that all of that came together in, in one space. And uh, she was a pretty fun character to play. All right, y'all, you know what season it is. Tis the season for spring breaking and planning our summer travel. And if you're like me, you're already in your Airbnb app trying to find which spot is right for you. Now, listen, while I'm looking to spend all this money, what I'm not doing is thinking about making money with Airbnb. See, you got to change your mind state. Make the money while you're spending the money. How, you say, Laia, do I make the money? Well, you host at your house. And I know what you're thinking. I mean, my whole house? Uh, Well, no, you don't have to do your whole house. I mean, you could do a room or, you know, do the whole house. So make some money while you're spending some money this summer. I'm trying to tell you, your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at Airbnb.com slash host. In the 1980s, Frank Farian was riding high as a successful German music producer, but he was bored. German pop was formulaic, dull, and oh so white. Frank had bigger dreams, American dreams. He wanted to create the kind of music that would rival larger-than-life artists like Michael Jackson or Run DMC. So he assembled a hip-hop duo, two once-in-a-lifetime talents who were charismatic, full of sex appeal, and phenomenal dancers. The only problem? One very important element was missing, but Frank knew just how to fix that. Wondery's new podcast, Blame It on the Fame, dives into one of pop music's biggest controversies. Millie Vanilli set the world on fire, but when their adoring fans learned about the infamous lip syncing, their downfall was swift and brutal. With exclusive interviews from frontman Fab Morvan and his producers Frank Farian and Ingrid Segui, this podcast takes a fresh look at the exploitation of two young Black artists. Follow Blame It on the Fame wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen to Blame It on the Fame early and ad-free by joining Wondery Plus.
Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Can I ask a random role question? Because it was two roles I just wanted to ask you about. And one of them is very random, but it's still my one of my favorite episodes of this, this, this franchise. Law and Order. I uh, wanted to ask you. Yes, Law and Order SVU. I wanted to ask you about that, and I wanted to ask you about what that, now that I know, I mean, I knew you were from Connecticut, but what that meant as an East Coast actor, what that means to East Coast actors in a way, and was that something that you felt like you you had to do? It was on a bucket list of sorts in a way, because it's, I feel like everybody has run through Law and Order. In a, it was not, and it was a badge of honor okay. to be the only New York actor that I knew who had never been on Law and Order. I was like, apparently, they don't want me, and I'm the only New York actor they don't want. So I'm going to turn that into an honor <laughs> instead of being like, y'all don't, I can't even be dead in the park. Like, people die every week on Law and Order. got to be dead. Hey, I'm, I'm a dead body in Law and Order. Right? I'm they a dead body. Over you. Hey, I didn't <laughs> wow. even get that. So it took years um, before that happened. And, um, and it was a great and interesting role. And the guy who wrote it, um, ooh, what's Matthew's last name? Uh, I can't think of his last name, but I'm gonna figure it out right now because that's rude. He um, he was so good, and um, I'm looking him up right now. That's why I'm trying to multitask. My mind, he saw you. On David Matthews. Okay. okay. David Matthews wrote that episode. Warren Light is a really good dude, and they love theater people. But David wrote something so interesting with this character, this woman, this Miriam Dang, who was based on a real person um, who had had that situation happen to her. And I cannot remember the real woman's oh, name. So they don't lie when they say that in the beginning. Okay. Oh, no. Of course not. Like, it's I all researched real. her. I pulled her up. I listened to her accent over and over again to find this woman. Mm. And it was an interesting accent. It was different for me to do. But it was fun. It was fun to do. And it was just, it was something different for, for me to do. And then I, now I can't say I'm the only one who they didn't want. And that's crying <laughs> My second real question was just about to uh, going to be about jukebox and the way that character was brought to you and if it was brought to you or if you auditioned and why yeah, you took it. It took me to four know. episodes to realize it was her. Oh my god, you were just <laughs> that's when I was like, oh she's wow, you just dope. all things are kind of flying by you, Amir. Like like no, well, like no, Hamilton, not all like, things. No, you're still in the doghouse, yo. Um, <laughs> still counts. No, I'm just. <laughs> I'm gonna come back. I'm gonna come back. Wait till we get to Princess of the Frog. I got many questions. No, but literally, literally I got all kinds of shit. There was a point where you know where I, I guess you were going to kill Tariq or whatever, and I when I watched the uh, credits at the end, I was like, no, that's not her. I said, get out of here, and then I realized that was you, and I had to rewatch that episode again. Yeah, I, I totally did not make that you until Thank you really you. lost I yourself in that role. Rose right there, right for me. But. That is, see, that's my favorite compliment. Um, I love that. I love jukebox. <laughs> 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 I, 
I loved Jukebox. Did like, Courtney poach you to, to do it? Or like yes. how? I met her. She's one of the nicest people ever. Also from Connecticut. Oh. Um, oh, okay. Oh, wow. Okay. Courtney and I have mutual friends. And we met at a game night. And Courtney also wrote on The Good Wife. What? So she knew me from The Good Wife. I didn't know her at that point. And then we met at this game night and had a great time. And um, when we met, we were like, we like each other. We should go to lunch. And so we went to lunch. And she was like, you know, Anika, if there was a, is there a role that you'd want to play? that you feel like no one would ever give you. Mm. And I was like, huh, well, yeah. She was like, well, what is that? I was like, I would like to be a complete badass, <laughs> like preferably on a motorcycle, which I don't drive, I don't ride motorcycles, but I'm thinking <laughs> this is something no one ever give me. And, you know, just completely like wild. And the outside of anything somebody would think of me for. And this was years before before power had even happened. She was like, oh, that would be really cool. I'd love to see you this way. And I was like, yeah. And so cut to a couple years later, I get a call saying, would you be interested in, she's a cop. She's a rogue cop. She's a lesbian. She's sort of murderous. I said, yes. Yes, I would. I would be absolutely. I mean, you ain't got to tell me nothing else. You played the shit um, out of her. Played the shit. Thank you. I loved her. I loved her because she was ruthless and interesting and different. And it's something I would never be in life. You know what I mean? Like I would never want to do the things that she did in life. But that's one of those times where you can do all the horrible things on screen and have fun with it. And I got to mush 50 Cent in the head. Like, who gets to mush 50 Cent in the head? And you, go, you did more than mush 50 Cent in the head, yo. And the DC accent. I heard the DC accent. I appreciate Thank it. You. Yes. Thank you. Thank yes. you. Yeah, it was it was really, really fun for me. And um, it was so well written. The the episodes were so well written. And that was a, that honestly was another moment where they were just like, so how you want to do it? And I was like, oh, Really? Let's go. Um, <laughs> I just got to go. And I had been a New Yorker for so long. You know, I'd lived in New York for a really long time. And I've always been, I grew up on the East Coast. So, you know, thank God I haven't had to really spend time with those people, but I've definitely seen those people. And you recognize them when you see them, when you look into their eye and you see, like, they are not worried about doing away with you. It would not bother them. You've seen those people. Mm-hmm. Um, so I loved her. I loved her. And thank you. <laughs> okay. So I, if you can, can you completely walk me? Now, I, I feel safe asking this question because people already know on the show that um, my animation watching activity is, is very, very low um, <laughs> with, with the ex- exception of occasional few. So I don't feel bad when people ridicule me for not, you never saw the Lion King. Yes, I've, I've been through all that. So can you ex- walk me through the process now of, and again, I know this is a very historical 
pivotal, not even for you, but just for history. So much and pretense. I love it. Keep <laughs> yes. going. Keep preamble. Yes. I'm, pre- I'm Don Cornelius on Soul Train. Where's John Dinsmore? So he didn't see Princess of the Frog. So you haven't you seen do, it. Yeah. No, 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 no. But I'm, <laughs> what I'm asking is, please walk me through the process of how that role came to you. And okay. it's the best shit ever. You so have daughters. I I have daughters. <laughs> and, and we've I, talked about this, and it's just great. But go ahead. I was in um, L.A. doing Carolina Change. Um, after we closed the New York ro- the New York run, we did a, a soft tour, just L.A. and San Francisco, and that was all I did because by then I had done over three hundred shows. <laughs> um, and while I was in L.A., the Disney people came to see it at the Mark Taper, and they were like, "We'd love to have a meeting with you." And I was like, ah, yes, <laughs> because I had always wanted to be a Disney voice. Um, not necessarily a princess. I really didn't care what I was going to be. I just wanted to be a voice. Um, and so I had this meeting and I told them that I would love to be anything. And I could be a flea even. And I had a sound for the flea or the tick. Wow. And they probably thought I was insane. And from that meeting, I was a couple years later, three years later, two years later, they called me for to audition for The Princess and the Frog. And, and I read that, the piece that they gave you, because they don't give you the whole thing. And I was like, oh, I know this girl. I, I am this girl. I am from a small town uh, where nobody did what it, the thing that I wanted to do. Um, I spent my growing up and trying to do what I do, being told, you know, that it wasn't perhaps possible. I knew who this girl was uh, and I was a hard worker. So it took three auditions hmm. over, I don't know, must have been a year that, that those auditions happened. One was the first one was the day after the Dreamgirls premiere in LA. So you will see no pictures of me at the Dreamgirls premiere party in LA because I went back to my hotel room and I worked on that audition. And um, I think I sang everything in my book when I went in there because I was like, I'm going to get this role. And uh, the second one was sometime later. And I also crazy, I was working on a show in Australia and I got a call back for The Princess and the Frog. And I was in, oh God, I was in New York. I was flying out to Australia. I think the next two days I was flying out. And my audition was going to be, I had to go to Australia, unpack a bag, shoot for one day, get on another plane, go Yikes. back to LA. Oh, and the ugh. day after that, was my second audition. That sounds no. crazy because it was. <laughs> However, yeah. I didn't care. Right, right. Because right. I wanted that role. And I was like, if I have to turn around and get dressed on this plane and gargle my mm-hmm. way to Burbank, I'm coming to get this role. So we did that. And then time went past. And I think I was, yeah, it was 2006. So I was doing the 
we were doing the Oscars telecast for Dreamgirls and Randy Newman was there because he, of course, had something that was nominated. And I'm looking right. at him because he had been in the room auditioning. I'm like, hi. Toy, Toy Story 16. <laughs> and, right. and I'm just hoping he's going to say something positive to me. And he was like, hey. <laughs> <laughs> um, and some more months went by before... I got the word, and that one, I got the word walking down the street in New York, headed to the bank with a sad piece of check in my hand. I don't know what from. <laughs> I just know it wasn't wasn't exciting, but I was happy to be putting it in the bank. And I got the call walking down Broadway that I had gotten that role, and they were like, "You should, where are you? I was like, I'm on Broadway. And they were like, you should come to our offices so we can celebrate. And I bopped myself to the Disney offices and had an intense tearful, fabulous celebration. And, you know, three years of making later, wow. it came out. Wow. Three so it took three years from that point wow. for Dang. it to yeah. come out. And Was that really what you were asking me? And I gave you an entire... No. Oh, okay. We, we <laughs> live for... Like... This is the rabbit hole central. Like we, <laughs> Man. We, we live for those things. Wait, can you talk about, can you talk about Princess and the Frog? Like, the music so like straight out of new orleans and like just the whole process of like getting into that vibe also randy newman known for like the medium shuffle sort of getting himself out of that and writing things that are very you know new orleansy as it were and like how did what was it what was your approach to that and how did you feel about like being that character i loved being that character because the singing, like the the acting and the voice stuff is great in that show, but the singing and like, you know, you're always trying in Disney stuff to be the next great Disney songs because Disney songs are are so high. This is coming from a guy who works at Sesame Street. Disney songs are so high on the, you know, on the thing of, yeah. of great songs. Like, did you, did you feel a sense of purpose? I feel a sense of of that you had to, to, to be up. I mean, you're always up to a certain level. I'm not going to say that. But like, did you feel a sense of having to push it over the top? Like, what was what was that? I don't want to no. get canceled again. No, my finger is hovering, but I didn't quite. <laughs> I didn't have to tap the mute button. I'm glad. Um, no, I felt a sense of responsibility towards the character. I felt a strong sense of responsibility towards her because I wanted her to be as honest and as real as possible. And I felt like it was something that I was owed as a little black girl in this country who grew up on Disney. I felt like it was something that my parents' generation were owed, having never seen that. And I felt like it was something that was owed to the generation coming up behind me, that this person be real, um, that she be relatable, that she be honest. Yeah. And... Um, and there were things that we talked about as we went through it. You know, musically, I I wanted to hear the youth in her voice, particularly as we started the movie and the wonder in her voice. Um, and I wanted her to be true to the sound of that era. So the, the movie starts with a tiny song. Mm-hmm. The evening star is shining bright. So make a wish and hold on tight. There's magic in the air tonight. 
And anything can, that was flat, anything can happen. So I wanted that beginning to definitely be as magical and whimsical as possible. And as we went through, almost there, you got her spirit in there and you got her soul in there. Um, by that, But that last note that I was able to just, I was given the space to just hold and go with it. And um, and then at the end, when she sings Down in New Orleans, which Dr. John had sung towards the beginning mm-hmm, yeah. of the movie, I felt like it was important to hear the maturity of who she'd become and the journey that she had gone through. So it's still her. But, you know, we all sing differently for different occasions, different feelings, different moments. I really put some a little bit of her gut in that song because I felt like she was freed of some things. Um, she was freed of the responsibility that she had put on herself. She was she was a more she was more open to just having some fun. She had found love, which she didn't expect, and she had achieved her dream. And I feel like that is an opening up that happens that takes you from being a girl to a young woman. And I wanted that to be heard in her voice. So when you get to that uh, down in New Orleans, sorry, down in New Orleans, in the Southland, there's a city way down on the river. I wanted to use the, some more of the bottom part of the voice and some more, um, and to let some more dirt, for lack of a better word, come into to her voice Great. for yeah that song and um that was important to me and we had a conversation about it because i didn't want her to be to spend a whole movie singing in this place i didn't want that (laughs) not for new orleans you know what i mean and i felt like it was important to the truth of who this young woman is and would be to have that space to that were you allowed to to sort of drive what your character was or did you have to have like a conversation with the disney people because i you know i would think that at least when you're dealing with a hollywood superpower like that they're always thinking about middle america and we don't want to scare them off and you know that sort of thing so yeah no i wasn't worried about middle america um you know she's from new orleans so i was worried about new orleans (laughs) and um she's me so I was worried about representing, you know, who we are. And they yeah. wanted it to be as true to form as possible. They really did. And um, so I was given the space to say, you know, I don't think this would be, this doesn't really make sense to me okay. for this reason or the other. And I was heard. When I said those things. Now, mind you, I didn't write the story. So it's not like the necessarily the story was going to change. But if I said that something culturally didn't sit well, or if I said that, I know we had a big talk about the um, the scene in the, uh, I think I'm free to say this, the scene in the swamp where uh, when Princess Tiana was a frog still and Naveen was a frog and they were being hunted. And there was, when we first did that scene, my concern was, I said, what we don't want in this scene is 
for it to feel like a slave hunt. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, Black folks are always going to, to think about and feel that feeling uh, when you've got these uh, real, uh, what's the good word, like hick white dudes with two teeth and a net mm-hmm. and some dogs trauma. running after us. The trauma. It's trauma. very important to have the tone of that scene correct. And we talked about it and I talked about it and they were like, oh, you're absolutely right. So it, it made a difference in how that scene moved and 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 the, the words that were used and how the chase happened. And I'm and I'm glad that I was working with a group of people that were sensitive uh, to that. Who yeah. were who were open to hear that. Yeah. Um, and you would think, well, of course they would because they want to make some money, but you'd be surprised Mm-mm. the amount of times that people don't listen to you. People As you were saying it, to you. I was thinking to myself, they listening. And I was wondering, is there anybody in that room that looked like you, though, that was helping to write that story? But I'm guessing that that's why you had to provide that expertise. Because, Well, I mean, I think we had one Black writer, maybe two, but they weren't always there with us. And I, mm-hmm. and I, think, I think when you're dealing with large entities... Mm-hmm that you do the best you can to make sure that you're heard. But sometimes it's hard to be heard. And look, I don't know what conversations happened before I said that. So let me make that very clear. I don't know what conversations happened. But sometimes it's hard to be heard from the inside of the room. Sometimes Mm -hmm. something has to come through from the outside of the room for people to understand Oh, I know that all too well. This isn't just so and so who I work with every day. Yes, right. This really is something that you know will be a universal thought issue, you know, problem Mm -hmm. feeling. But I don't know what they talked about beforehand. But I know that for me that that was something that we really needed to talk about. Um, And I'm glad that they heard me, and they were really wonderful during the process, like really wonderful. Um, Peter Del Vecco, Ron Clements, and John Musker, who are amazing. Um, and they also did The Little Mermaid. So it was an amazing production team. Um, and I did feel listened to when I spoke. Um, and, I'm, and I'm glad for that. And I think it's only smart of people who are creating something in a culture that isn't theirs to listen to the person who's in the room for whom it is. Now, am I from New Orleans? No. But as a black woman who grew up in this country and knows her history and has family mm-hmm. in the South, there are things that I'm going to bring to that that they never would have listened to. They're, first of all, not even women. <laughs> so wow. we can start there. Um, wow. You know, it was a group of men. But they were good dudes. And there were other things that we talked about. Like I asked for Tiana to be left-handed. And they were totally into that. And, yes. Um, yeah, right? And that's lefty? something that you just don't. I am. And it's something you just don't see. You don't get to see. It was important to me that she not have a cookie cutter body. I was like, you know, this is a black girl. So let's make sure that, you know, we don't want it to look like porn, which sometimes cartoons can do to people. (laughs) But she need to have a booty because let's be true to form. Let's make a real person, not just paint something that's there. Uh, and, And to be clear, this wasn't a fight. (laughs) They Mm -hmm. asked me the things that I 
that I thought of that I felt were important. And those were, uh, you know, some of the things that I talked about, but not all of them. But those are the things that you will see immediately and that her hair not be straight. Those are things that you'll see immediately. And it was, and I have now taken you all the way to Wonderland because I think I've forgotten what the question was that I started with. And no, this, so this is what sorry. I want to know. To Quest Love Supreme. Yes. <laughs> Where every tangent is a good tangent. <laughs> Again. No, this, this, this brings a whole new level of, of respect that, you know, was already there, but added more to it. No, thank, thank you for sharing that. All right, y'all. You know what season it is. Tis the season for spring breaking and planning our summer travel. And if you're like me, you're already in your Airbnb app trying to find which spot is right for you. Now, listen, while I'm looking to spend all this money, what I'm not doing is thinking about making money with Airbnb. See, you got to change your mind state. Make the money while you're spending the money. How, you say, Laia, do I make the money? Well, you host at your house. And I know what you're thinking. I mean, my whole house? Uh, well, no, you don't have to do your whole house. I mean, you could do a room or, you know, do the whole house. So make some money while you're spending some money this summer. I'm trying to tell you, your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at Airbnb.com slash host. In the 1980s, Frank Farian was riding high as a successful German music producer, but he was bored. German pop was formulaic, dull, and oh so white. Frank had bigger dreams, American dreams. He wanted to create the kind of music that would rival larger-than-life artists like Michael Jackson or Run DMC. So he assembled a hip-hop duo, two once-in-a-lifetime talents who were charismatic, full of sex appeal, and phenomenal dancers. The only problem? One very important element was missing, but Frank knew just how to fix that. Wondery's new podcast, Blame It on the Fame, dives into one of pop music's biggest controversies. Millie Vanilli set the world on fire, but when their adoring fans learned about the infamous lip syncing, their downfall was swift and brutal. With exclusive interviews from frontman Fab Morvan and his producers Frank Farian and Ingrid Segui, this podcast takes a fresh look at the exploitation of two young Black artists. Follow Blame It on the Fame wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen to Blame It on the Fame early and ad-free by joining Wondery+. Plus. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. You're in Tyler Perry's uh, For Color Girls with mm-hmm. damn near half of Hollywood. Um, what was that? What was that whole uh, experience like in doing that that movie? You know, it was interesting because most of those people we I didn't see till the end. Okay, we oh, did man. that and like, see so yeah. I didn't. I didn't see them. Um, however, it was um, it was actually a a really good experience, and I'll have to say that. Um, as far as be, how you're treated on a set, Tyler had, there were flowers in my trailer every morning when I went into work, fresh, fresh flowers. That had never happened before. And so, I'm not. So that makes a difference? Who, you know, all it says is we care. Okay. And at That's the very the least, you're, you're doing so much heavy work that 
it kind of doesn't end up lifting away. It's like, okay, well, at least I'm starting my day off with these flowers. Cause yeah, for you start off with day. something nice. Yeah. Um, because you, you going into the shits. There we go. <laughs> that one. Um, mm-hmm. but that was a really lovely thing. And we shot in New York and we shot in Atlanta and it was, it, it was pretty fast. But yeah, so I didn't really get to, Tandy and I became very close on that set. For some reason, we ended up being, what year was that? We ended up being connected, that was 2009. Um, and Carrie and I became friendly, but we didn't really get to bond, you know, yeah. meld and work together because it really, as much of an ensemble as it was, it was also, you know, if you know the original piece, which I'm sure you do, it was monologues. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. It was singular stories that that Fragmented. cut together and touch each other on, in the corners. So, but what I am grateful, like that monologue is such an amazing and phenomenal monologue that I got to do in the hospital. And I remember Tyler was like, oh, so we're going to do this shot and then that shot and the other shot. And I started to do it. We did a rehearsal and then I went back to, and we didn't want to use a lot of time because it was so emotional and I was coming off of something else and going straight into that. And I was supposed to go back to makeup and I said, no, I don't want any makeup. I want you to leave my face as it is. I think it's important to see her face. I don't want her to look nice or better or uh, falsely worse. I want you to see her face as it is. And he did not fight me on that. And then one thing that he did, which I really appreciated, was he was like, you know what? We were going to do different angles, but you just do your monologue. And so instead of doing different angles and cutting and doing this and that and the other, I did a take and he got closer and closer and closer and closer with the camera Hmm. so that it didn't have to be cut up and I didn't have to find, create that same emotional space because I've waited now for 15 minutes for a camera angle to change or for a lens to change, which God mm-hmm. bless them. Those people are doing their jobs and they're trying to make you look as good as possible when the edit is done. But sometimes there is something to be said for allowing the emotional space to live and just showing it in its naked space. And I think that that's something that's something that happened in that in that moment that I that um I think Tyler totally made. Well, look, that sounds crazy, but it, it felt like the right choice to me at the time. And as mm-hmm. an artist, it definitely was the right choice for me to be able to do the best that I could do in that space. You know what? You you mentioned that. And then it also hit me that, well, because I worked on it as well. Um, oh. You you were on Kizzy. No, 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 no. Not Color Girls. I worked on Roots. Oh. You were on Kizzy. Yes. And, I was and Roots. Yes. I totally forgot. <laughs> I was. And, yeah. Um, Episode four, I think I was. Um, I still say that shit you know, which was quite an honor to bring that to bring that story to the young people, people who haven't mm-hmm. seen the original, who didn't know about the original. And originally, at first, I was like, "Why are y'all doing this again? Why, why are y'all messing with this?" <laughs> Every, yeah, Every, yeah. we lived through this shit already. This trauma, well, right? <laughs> and not because it was about slavery. Because listen, I think it's important that people know about slavery. Here's one thing. There's a reason 
that the Jewish population teaches the Holocaust all of the time. And they teach it all of the time because it is important for young people to know what happened so that it does not happen again. We must move through the pain of the thing so that we know how to keep it from coming back so that we are clear on our history. And so for people who did not live the history, know what their lineage did and can teach themselves and their children to do different things and make different choices. We must tell the story of slavery. We must. And maybe we need to tell it from a different angle. Okay. Like, I think that it's important to talk about. Can't stop. It's important to talk about the revolutions that happened on on plantations. Mm-hmm. It's important to tell the to not just tell the story of bondage, but to tell the story of the breaking freeze, to tell the story of the Moors, to tell the story of the um, sorry, the um. Ooh, I can't remember. I'm shaking my called. head so hard because me and Fonte have this debate all the time. I'm like, it's this important. Is <laughs> The Moors is not the word that I wanted to say, but the, um, ah, what are they called? The people in Jamaica and in Haiti who went off into the hills. Um, and I can't think of the, the name of the word that starts with an M. Mm, can't mm. think of it right now. But see, that's why you have to keep that's telling why we it. Need so it. People that's know. why we need it. But there were other angles to, to enslavement and to slavery. But also what we need to do, like with Jingle Jangle, is have stories in that time period where you see people who are not dealing with bondage because bondage was not what we sprang from. Bondage is not the only thing that happened to us. So I am somebody who, yeah, sometimes I'm like, oh God, another slave story, but only because it's coming from the same angle. Mm -hmm. We have to look at other angles, Mm -hmm. but we cannot afford to not tell this story. And if we thought we could afford to not tell this story, January 6th should have taught us. Pow, pow. For real, for real. Exactly. That's it. That's where I am on that. I'm just with Laia making gun noise. I make this point constantly and people always argue with me about it. And I'm like, I don't understand. 12 Years a Slave was not the same slave movie as Roots. 12 Years a Slave was really something kind of different. Like, I've never seen the story of a free man that got kidnapped. Like, stop acting like that's a same. It just was. So I'm just. Maroons. 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 My mind didn't want to give me. We can rest um, yes. now. Maroons. Yeah. Sorry. Whew. Are you? Do you feel that you're now at the place where you can, well, that you can create productions and 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 things that you want to do without having, without not having to go through the Hollywood shuffle. Like, are you past <laughs> no. the place where it's like, no, uh, this particular company calls and we want you to fly in to read for this role and that. I'm learning now through this show that there's two different types of processes. Like you get called in and you have to read and read and read and wait for a call back. And then there's people that are like, I won't do that. Like determined. There are times when I won't do that. There are times when I won't do that because sometimes people want to put you through hoops just to put you through hoops. And there's too much tape for people to watch, to be putting folks through hoops for no reason. Uh, of of very different roles. You know what I mean? It's not like I've been doing the same role for 20 years and you're like, but today we'd like you to be a magician and we've never seen you pull a rabbit out of a hat. Mm-hmm. You know, 
there's a lot of tape for people to look at. So there are some things where I'm just like, no, no, I'm not going to do that. There are other things um, that I will, would be willing to, and I, and I do go in for, I mean, I'd like to say that's over, but I don't know that it's ever over to be perfectly honest. There are things that I get offers for. And then there are things that are like, we'd love for you to, we love you. You're amazing. We think, oh my God, you are our favorite in this. And uh, we've got this amazing role. We'd love for you to read. <laughs> and you're like, what happened to all the other love you oh, just spoke right. about? What happened to that? Oh, so we love for you to read is sort of the deal breaker that like, uh, man. It okay. depends on the, on the role, on the project, on how I feel about it. It depends. There are a whole lot of vari- variables that that go into that. Um, so is there a genre that you haven't stepped into yet, like uh, the horror genre or I, well, I don't, I don't, I don't know if they call the Marvel world like science fiction or not. I don't know. Like, I don't know what the it's just, it's just I was Marvel. supposed to do a horror movie. I was scheduled to get on a plane two weeks after quarantine hit. Yikes. <laughs> and I Damn. was supposed to be in um, Budapest. Budapest, Romania. But no, it was a really, it was interesting and different and potentially a lot of fun. And now I think it's dead. I, I would love to, I miss comedy. I miss comedy. And I think maybe people have forgotten that I can do that. So I sort of miss that. Not sort of, I really do miss doing com- comedic <laughs> things. Um, I would love to do uh, a cute little romantic comedy or just a regular okay. comedy. I love sci-fi, and I'm glad you mentioned that. And I've got the rights to a couple of book series that I am trying to make happen. Um, and then I don't have the right to a couple of series that I'm friends with the authors, and I'm like, I'm. We are talking about moving forward with me as part of their package um, without moving the rights, um, mm-hmm. but to have me as a producer and, a, and an actor on it. Because I sort of, I love sci-fi. I love us in the world of sci-fi. I love anything that goes beyond the boundary that people have tried to give us. Um, and so I'm into those things because I'm not into being told who I am allowed to be. Um, so mm. that is always exciting to me when I can find something that is outside of the space that we have sort of been relegated to, because I got like always saying, people are like, when I see a sci-fi movie and people are, you know, 75, a hundred years into the future and you've got one black person, <laughs> you will lie. You will lie. There right. is no way that black people and I mean throughout the diaspora, have been through the things that they have been through and are here in 2021. And you think we're not about to be here in 3021? If you here, we here. We started this thing. <laughs> we're here. So, so that. that is always a story that I'm interested in telling and putting us in a space where we have been told that we do not belong or will not exist. I'm always interested in that. Awesome. Awesome. Um, real quick, Mo, my last question is is about Jingle Jangle. Like, what was what was the experience for you in in doing that film? And well, I know it was important for at least my my nieces and nephews. Like, they you know they lost their minds over it and <laughs> seeing it. Um, 
Yeah, but how how did that project come to you? David Talbert offered me that role. And it was so funny because I think he was trying to get in touch with me for like the better part of a year. We just kept missing each other. <laughs> and, uh, right. um, and I would have missed out on something so great. Um, so happy for the success for him too, by the way. Yes. With David E. It's Talbert. Really, really, it's really yeah. great for he Put and for Lynn. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we had a Zoom meeting because I don't know where I was. I think I was, I was in New Orleans shooting something. And um, so we met on Zoom and we talked and then it was, had to go up the flagpole. And then, oh, and while we were talking about it, I had read a version of the script, which was a fairly early version of the script at that point. And I was like, this is cute and this is cool. And yeah, this is interesting. And then he was like, and you know, it's a musical. And I was like, oh, yeah, I had heard it was a musical. That's cool. Uh, Well, who's doing the music? And he said, Philip Lawrence, Phil, and uh, John Legend. And I was like, and sold. Because Mm -hmm. everything came together in that package. You've got this Christmas story with us centralized and normal, but also magical. And now you've got these amazing musicians connected to it. I love Phil Lawrence. I think he is magnificent. And I also love Bruno Mars, who you know that he writes for a lot. But he, as a singer, musician, is also beyond um, Phil himself. And I've already told you how much I love uh, John Legend and his work and how he is able to translate Mm -hmm. story to song and song for a story. So all of those things sort of just um, worked together. And... um, it was a really wonderful thing to be a part of another project that centralizes black children and our wonder, our ability to feel wonder, um, the joy of Christmas in a way that wasn't showing lack. Um, you know, there was family dysfunction, but that's important to show too because we all have it. But it, the story wasn't about what these people couldn't have, couldn't get, couldn't whatever, um, aside from love. And they Mm -hmm. rectified that. Um, The story took place in the Victorian age with these amazing costumes uh, by Michael Wilkinson, who's Australian, randomly, and phenomenal. Um, And he mixed all these African fabrics in with these Victorian costumes and these amazing colors. And then the hair was Sharon Martin, who I'd worked with on um, Half of a Yellow Sun, and all of the hair was natural. And it wasn't like, there wasn't a commentary on it because this is what people's hair was supposed to look like, does look like, looks like. So the amount of positive reinforcement within this film without beating people over the head with it is just fantastic. And then, you know, again, to be able to sing the songs that I was able to sing was yeah. delicious. And I'll say this, because we were talking about Make It Work and It's not a way that people have heard me sing before. And that for me was quite the gift because I love to access that part of my voice. And I think usually when people are thinking of me, they're thinking of me as a soprano because that's, you know, I am a soprano. However, I'm also that, (laughs) you know, I'm also that gritty. um, I don't know. You know, I'm not Fantasia, so I'm not like, ah, 
I haven't gone there yet. I think when I do, <laughs> ah, that's the farewell concert. That'll be the last note. Um, but, <laughs> but I also live in the deeper register of my voice, and and I and I really enjoy being there. So there was an aspect of my voice that you that I don't think I had gotten to express before, and that to me was really joyous to be able to do. Um, so the whole thing. And I got to work with my Felicia Rashad, who I'm just love, love, love. Um, yeah. I got to see Madeline come into being, which is always something that's amazing when you see a little kid come into to being. Um, Kieran Dyer, who played Edison, who was a scream, um, was also magnificent. And the lovely and very gentle Forrest Whitaker. So there's yeah. there was nothing to not like about it, really. Wow. Thank you. Amazing. You know, uh, our episodes can go on forever, but, you know, <laughs> we got to wrap up. <laughs> we have to wrap Look, up. No, we really thank you. I thank you because I have embarrassed myself in front of you at least twice. <laughs> oh, don't talk about it. <laughs> you did? At what least twice. I have shamed myself at least when? twice. Now, the, the first time you were DJing at Uh-oh. an Emmy okay. party. I do this uh, all the time. Uh, yeah, this, uh, this happens to everybody. Yeah, sorry. In, in LA. <laughs> it's okay. In, I can't remember what hotel it was. But anyway, and you were going off. New Year's Eve? No, no, the Emmys. The Emmys was a couple years oh. ago. And uh, um, okay. Kirk was playing the hell out of this guitar. I mean, when I say he was playing the hell out of this guitar, so he was playing it and he lifted it over this girl's head. And I think she was talking. And I don't think he appreciated that at the time. Oh, so Kirk, he lifted yeah. it over her head and she was talking to her friend, talking about it. And the and the guitar came over her head and he's playing the guitar in front of this girl as if she was playing it and got all of her attention and all of our attention. And I, my mouth is open and my eyes are wide. And I'm like, I can't believe what's happening right here right now. This is amazing. <laughs> and so I started, y'all were going on a break. I think it was for Amazon. I remember this. It was like you, roof you of the hotel. Me being crazy? Yeah. So yeah, I remember. Yeah. I was a little fanned out, right? Oh. I was amped by the music and I was feeling very fanny. And and I was walking <laughs> and talking and not paying attention, but like running my mouth about how fantastic everything was. And I don't remember who stopped me, but I was I was being talked to. I wasn't talking at somebody's back or anything. I wasn't being a crazy person, but I was talking and running my mouth. And and I had to be stopped. And I was like, what? What's happening? And it didn't occur to me that you all were going into your dressing room. Oh, really? <laughs> and I was just walking and talking and like heading into this dressing room with y'all. And I was mortified. And I was like, these people are going to think I'm insane and they are never going to speak to me again. And it has lived with me for years. So thank you for erasing that, like, I, you know, men blacking it from we, your memory. Listen, and me on, behalf, show. on behalf of all the roots, we we definitely welcome you into our dressing room. Uh, thank you. <laughs> Okay. Safe now. They old. I'm just joking. Yeah, we're, we're <laughs> shut up, my you. Anyway, no, thank th- thank you so much for doing this for us, and um, thank, uh, you. thank you for real. You know, yeah. we we appreciate your, your your talent and and sharing your story with us, and you know, we're proud of you. Thank you for coming on the show. Thank you yes. so very much. It was really lovely speaking with all of you and getting to know you, and um, you know, outside of what you see of the person, but really getting to see you, the person has been 
a gift, all of you. And, um, and Bill, I forgive you. Um, <laughs> I was waiting. I was Thank you, I'm going to take that. <laughs> I'm going right. to my band. All right. Unmuted. So, <laughs> I'm still canceled, but thank you. On, on behalf of uh, Laia and Sugar Steve and Fonte. Wait, 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 and- wait. Uh, we, we have the same birthday. September 6th. <laughs> Yeah. Woohoo! Nice job. Is you Jennifer? Yeah, yes. Wow. That's my wife's birthday. You got you and my wow. wife have the same birthday. And she's left handed as well. Yeah. Wow. Left handed. That doesn't happen often. Nice. Yeah, that's nice. wild. <laughs> anyway. Anything else, uh, Steve? Nope. Just the birthday thing. Thanks, Chris. Uh, okay. Okay, fine. <laughs> anyway, on behalf of birthday burger down there in Lyon, Fontigolo, and uncancelled uh Bill. Uh, this is Questlove signing off for QLS we'll see you on the next go round thank you yo what's up this is Fonte make sure you keep up with us on Instagram at QLS and let us know what you think and who should be next to sit down with us don't forget to subscribe to our podcast alright peace Much Love Supreme is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Have you ever brought your magic to Walt Disney World like, hey, we came to play? Did you tip your tiara to a Creole princess or get goofy officially? Step up like a boss and save the day? Or see what life's like under the tree of life? Did you? If you could. Would you? When we come through, it's true magic. Because we came to play. Bring the magic at Walt Disney World Resort. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. With every CBD product claiming to do something different, it's nearly impossible to decide what's best for you. Lazarus Naturals pioneered the farm-to-front-door model of transparency where they handle each step of the production process to ensure quality, potency, and consistency. Scannable labels allow you to see the test results of your hemp batch so you can be confident in the safety and quality. Visit LazarusNaturals.com today. Lazarus Naturals, committed to improving your life as well as the world around you. Not available in Idaho, Iowa, or South Dakota.